Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you'd throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands if you forgot your Bible or didn't bring a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up and grab one of these and take it home as our gift to you. Turn right now, though, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be this morning. And the title of this message is this, Parenting is Hard. Can I get an amen on that one, right? Yeah, for sure, right? And I want to I say right from the very beginning as I, as, I, as I lay this out that I'm not standing up here as an expert in parenting, all right? My kids have not become teenagers yet, so I am very careful as a preacher not to preach too many sermons on parenting and saying I'm the expert because then my kids hit 16 and 18 and all that and you guys will be coming back and going, hey, what's up, Pastor Guy? Remember that sermon? How's it going now, right? So, but I'm not standing up here saying I'm the expert. I have three girls aged eight to 12 and they are showing me every day where I still lack as a parent, right? How much I don't know as a parent. And that's not my goal. My goal though is for us to discover what's foundational for our crazy families here in God's word. I mean, this is our source of authority. It's, it's not in me and what I can bring to the table, but there's authority here in God's word as he lays out for us, hey, here's what it looks like in our families as for us as parents and for us as kids. And, and even as I say that, let, let me talk to a few groups that might be here this morning. You're thinking, man, I guess I can check out on this sermon because maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I've done the parenting thing. It's over. My kids are out of the house. They're grown. So, I mean, you may preach some hard stuff this morning, and, and believe me, it is. This has been beating me up all week. But, but you're like, hey, I can check out. I don't need to hear anymore. I'm off the hook. But listen, this message for you this morning, maybe it might mean that you need to repent. Maybe you'll hear the sermon and you'll be hearing from God's word and say, man, that isn't how I did parenting. I, I, didn't, I didn't live it out this way. Man, I missed this. And the, the key to Christian living, the key to living out the gospel is that we, we live our lives where we say, hey, this isn't right, this hasn't been right, and we don't wallow in it, we don't even brush it aside, though we take it to the Lord and we, we walk it out in repentance. We say, God, this wasn't right. And your kids might be long gone, but your, your, your response this morning might need to be confession, might need to be repentance. And, and I'm not saying this, you don't wallow in it though. The gospel says you don't be buried under it, under the weight and guilt and shame of maybe where you missed the mark as a parent. But no, you bring it to the Lord and say, God, would you redeem this? I love Joel chapter two, where it says this, that the Lord will redeem the years the locusts have eaten that the Lord can redeem, the Lord can heal, even as you look back at, at what might be failures. And part of that restoration, it might mean this, it might, hey, here's some application right away, and it might be this, that this afternoon, if you go home, maybe what's gonna happen for you is you're gonna get on the phone and call your adult children. Maybe God presses in your heart this morning, you go, man, here's where I didn't live this out, and you gotta call and say, hey, I'm sorry. We don't underestimate the power of healing and restoration that happens when someone is willing to say, I'm sorry. And maybe you're here also and, 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 and you're like, yeah, I don't have any adult kids. I don't have anything that I, th- I think I'm, I'm weighing on my kids. I, I mean, I did it by God's grace. But here, here's the thing. You're also not just part of your own crazy family. You've joined this bigger crazy family we call Harvest. 
right? And you might be done and gone and your kids are out of the house, but man, we need you here for our bigger crazy family that, that you can come alongside. We have a lot of young kids in our church, a lot of young parents in our church. And you've been there, done that. You can bring the grace of God and his word alongside maybe a struggling husband and wife. You can come alongside. We have a lot of single parent homes in our church that could use someone to come alongside and say, these single parents are having to do the job of both mom and dad. Think of how hard that is. And then you have an opportunity going, hey, you know, I'm an empty nester. Maybe I can come alongside and and be an encouragement and help in that situation. Maybe even you could just come alongside and help by just serving and harvest kids. Say, I'm done with my kids, but okay, I'll jump in on these kids. Here's another group that might be here this morning. You don't have kids. Maybe you just don't have kids yet. Maybe you're listening thinking, oh, I'll remember this for when, when I have kids. But maybe you're here and you, you don't have kids. But listen, some of you might be here this morning and you're carrying some wounds from your own childhood. And you might hear a sermon like this as God's word is laid out and you, you might hear it and think, man, my parents weren't like this. And you're carrying those wounds. You say, my, my, my parents didn't live it out in this way. Or, or my, my dad, instead of protecting me, he wounded me, he hurt me. Or, or my mom, instead of caring for me and loving me like it says here, I mean, she just brought pain in my life. And you carry those wounds this morning. Maybe for you, it's a morning to bring those hurts and those wounds to Jesus, the healer. To remember that Your heavenly father is your perfect father. And maybe this morning will be a time where you lay those wounds before the Lord. Here's the thing. None of us have perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. Our our hope isn't in our parenting. Our hope isn't in our parents. And we've been saying it all throughout this series so far that our, our hope is not in our families. Our families can be crazy. And even the best of families here, you still have a little bit of crazy in your family, right? And here's the thing, when we put our hope in our family, we're crushed under that weight because our souls were never meant to bear the weight of that. And and so listen, if your parents have become your savior and your family in that way, and, and my parents need to be perfect and you find yourself blaming your parents for everything you see in your life now, where, where your relationship with your parents is determining the, whether or not you have happiness in your life, you've set them up into a place they never were supposed to be. Or maybe for you, it's the other way where your kids are your hope. Your kids are your life. And, and so how does that look? If, if your kids rebel, you're crushed by it. Not just like, oh man, that's not good. Or, or you're just completely devastated when your kids aren't living up to the standards that you want them to live up for. If, you, if your kids don't love you, you're completely wrecked by that. And so what do you do? You'll sacrifice relationships. You'll even sacrifice your marriage to make sure you don't lose that kid. Or, or you'll push your kids to look so good because you want to look so good. Listen, in, in, in all of these places, you're, you're placing your salvation in something other than Jesus. You're building your life on what the Bible would say, sand. You're just building your life and there is no solid rock under your feet if that's your foundation. Because your kids can't bear the weight of your soul. Your parents can't bear the weight of your soul. And and maybe this morning, some of you are experiencing even that crushing weight, that life on the sand, even right now. The most important thing for us to see this morning is, is our hope is in Christ alone. 
And parents, the, the best thing, the most important thing that we can do as parents is to grow more and more like Jesus for our, our kids to see us growing more and more into the image of Christ. Where we put our hope in him alone. Where, where our kids look and see us as parents saying, I treasure Jesus above everything else. My life's not built on, on you guys. Even I, I love Jesus even more than I love you as my kids. And Yet as parents, we fail at this all the time, don't we? We were so at a disadvantage as parents because of what? Because of something called sin. As we press into these verses here in Ephesians, what are, what are we seeing? We're gonna see over and over again in this whole series, my desperate need for God's grace, my desperate need for God's power, my desperate need for his gospel in my life. So as we jump into Ephesians chapter six, that's the purpose of why God's calling us to this is for us to see his need and his power to do this. If you got your Bibles open, look at verse one of chapter six. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Right away you see in this passage that, it, that, that it's being framed in the context of something. You notice it's not, hey, in the church, this is how you do it. What's the, what's the context this is happening? The teaching, the, dis, the discipling, the caring, the context is family. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's our first point this morning. The hard job of parenting is a parent's responsibility. The hard job of parenting is a parent's responsibility. Right? It's, it's not the children's ministry director of the church's responsibility. It's not the, the youth ministry director. It's not, it's not Russ's responsibility to raise our teens. It's our job as parents. We are the primary Bible teachers and disciplers of our children. Now listen, the church can be this phenomenal partner in this. I mean, it's, it's why we do church. It's because we journey this together. We come alongside each other to point each other to Christ. We encourage each other in our walk. We encourage each other as parents. We, we, we are better equipped by this. We're loving each other. We're sharing burdens with each other. But there's this danger in church where we create this mentality that you come to church, you drop your kid off, and your kid's taken care of by the church. Or you, you place all the burden on a youth worker. Hey, you're responsible for my kid. And I want to encourage parents today, listen, listen, we have the responsibility. We also have all the resources we need to disciple our kids. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that you don't need a seminary degree to be able to read the Bible to your kids, to be able to show your kids what it looks like to walk with God. Because listen, here's the thing. If God gives us a job to do, he's gonna provide the way for that to happen. God doesn't command something that he doesn't also then give us the power to be able to accomplish what he commands us to do. Now for those of you, maybe you grew up without Christian parents or you come from tough homes. Here, that's on us here as parents at Harvest as well. What do I mean by that? I mean, hey, let, let those kids who come from tough homes, let those kids who don't have godly parents pouring this out into their lives, let them hang out in your home. Let, let kids see Christ in your home. Let, let them see a mom and dad who love each other and love kids that we would open up our home and say, man, I want to take responsibility for this. 
I want to grow my kids to know Jesus. I want to, I want to grow them to pursue Jesus as their ultimate treasure. That is on us as parents. And the church comes alongside to equip, to assist, to encourage. Now listen, this can seem so overwhelming though, right? But here's the thing. This is why you're not going to hear in this sermon, here are 10 steps to a perfect kid by Friday, right? That's not happening, right? Here are five ways to, to parent your kids super well. No, you're not going to hear that. Instead, allow parenting to, to reveal in you your desperate need for Jesus in this. It's our responsibility for sure. It's on us, but we so need Christ in this. I mean, parents, think about your kids. What reveals your desperate need for Jesus more than your kids? Right? In my house, when I come home after a tough day and my kids are having a tough day, it's in that moment that my, my impatience, my selfishness, every, all that, it's just laid out on the living room floor for everybody to see. And I'm, I'm fighting for my little kingdom and my, my kids have this brilliant way of knowing which buttons to push to expose dad's sin, right? It's, it's in those moments that I'm, I'm desperately aware and I need Jesus more right now. It's parenting in our crazy families. It reveals the, our sinfulness. It reveals the, our deep need. Because here's the exciting news of that, though. Because if it's my sin that's the problem, there's an answer for that. Jesus provides the answer for sin. Listen, if it's about, if it's about training and knowing more, man, I gotta, I gotta learn more, grow more, study more, go to school more. But, but Jesus, no, if the problem is your sin, you come to the cross where there's forgiveness. You come to the cross where there's not wrath and condemnation, but transformation and healing. The gospel is foundational to our parenting. It's so important to remember this because, listen, we talked last week of what's marriage. Marriage is basically two sinful people coming together to live in a home together. How hard is that? Now drop one, two, three, four more other sinful little creatures into that home, right? How hard is that? Right? Every new parent knows this. Yeah, they're a bundle of little cute joy, but they have everything they absolutely need to take you out, right? I don't think any parent across this room needs to be convinced of their child's brokenness. Right, so put it all together. You have a, a mom and a dad with a, with a propensity towards sin. You then include children with that same propensity towards sin. And what do you got? You've got a recipe for a crazy family. I mean, you just need to come by my house someday and you'll see this. You don't even need to stop. Just put your windows down as you drive by. You'll hear it, all right? Listen, if we try to apply what, what, what God's word says here, if we try to apply it on our own without the gospel, we're gonna be left hopeless. If we say, I can grit my teeth and I can make this happen, no, no, you'll be left hopeless without the gospel. And listen, your kids too will be left hopeless. We all need new hearts. Parents need new hearts. Kids need new hearts. And we need to daily, daily see ourselves in light of who God is and who God says you are in Christ. And it's how we started out this series. You remember that, that we are all, we're all empty and broken inside. What do we, there's this, this relationship that's been broken between us and God. And we spend our lives now trying to pursue that shalom, that peace that was in the Garden of Eden. And we're finding, trying to find ways, how do I get this peace back? And what do we do? We look horizontally. So we look into our families and hope maybe, maybe this can bring the peace I'm looking for, and God's saying, no, don't start there. It's a great place for it to be worked out and seen, but we start by pursuing Christ. 
And through Christ, that shalom happens, that peace happens. Our relationship is brought back together with God. And then when we pursue that, the outworking of that, the outflow is that we see the gospel lived out, we see the shalom lived out, the peace lived out in our families. An outflow of that vertical relationship that's been restored with God, fully embraced in Christ. And this is why when you're, we're just taking four verses here out of Ephesians, but you see the context they're in. In the book of Ephesians, Paul lays out the whole first chapter saying, this is who you are in Christ. Be sure you get this. Be sure you understand what the vertical relationship looks like. Then he, he gets to chapter five and he says, hey, I'm about to lay down some things you're supposed to do in your marriage and in your family, but you can't do this on your own. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. So so rest in the work of Christ, be filled with the Spirit. And so parents, listen, it's our responsibility, but we can rest knowing that God's at work in this. And I love that, to, to think, yeah, it's a battle to raise kids, but we're not battling this alone. Listen, Satan hates your children. You know that, right? He wants nothing more than to take them out. But, but you're not fighting alone. You have, you have God battling with you. I, I love the story in the Gospels where Jesus is hanging out and all these kids start crawling all over him and start coming towards him. What do the disciples do? They're trying to be like good leaders, right? So they're like, hey, hey, come on, kids, out of here. Leave them alone. You can't talk to him. You gotta move on. And Jesus is like, what are you talking? Stop. Let the kids come. Jesus has a heart for our kids. He loves our kids. In fact, I would say this, God loves your kids more than you love your kids. God's fighting on your behalf. So we need the spirit at work to make this happen. For us to live this out as parents, kids need the spirit at work in order to live out what God's calling them to here in Ephesians chapter six. So let's look, how does this look? What's it specifically look like as we're pointing each other to our hope, our identity, our life in Christ? What's it look like lived out in family? Well, if you're taking notes, here's our second point. Children are to obey their parents. Children. Obey and honor your parents. Verse one says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So we're we're called as as a kid, you're called to obey and honor your parents. And it starts with kids. And here's the thing, God's talking directly to you as a kid. Don't you love that? It's not saying, hey, parents, make sure your kids are doing this. God's speaking right to you. This is your verse. He's saying, children, obey your parents. Now, let me define children for you. If you live with your parents where you're dependent on them for your food and rent and all that, you're a child, all right? That's that's what's here. I know we think children and we instantly think little kid, but but here, that's what this this word means. It means that you're, you're dependent on your parents. And you're like, dude, I'm 15, I'm not a child. No, you are in this context, all right? That's what this is saying. That's where children means you're dependent. If you're like 35 and still living in your parents' house and they're paying, oh, we'll just leave that for another sermon, all right? Let's keep going. All right, so, so Paul says right away, he goes, hey, listen, children, obey your parents. And he says, honor your father and mother. Do you, do you recognize that? He's going all the way back to the 10 commandments. He's rooting this thing in the 10 commandments. Now, why did God give the Ten Commandments? He gave the Ten Commandments. Here's one of the reasons. So that Israel would flourish as a nation. So that their families would flourish. So that as a a culture, they would flourish. You see it here. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. 
Now listen, we get this. The Ten Commandments are also given to us to show we can never do this without God's grace. Right? In parenting, we already know that, that that shows itself there. But this isn't rules just for rules' sake. It says, do this that it might go well for you, that you might live long in the land. Now my dad used to use this verse to say, hey, obey me or I cut your life short. Like that's how he used it. That's not what God's saying here, Right? In our house, we like to tell our kids this. Listen, when you step outside of God's plans, when you disobey mom and dad, you're, you're stepping out into dangerous territory. You're stepping out of God's plan, God's protection. He says here, when you just follow what I lay out, you will flourish. God's saying, I designed marriage, and so this is the best way for it to work. And now he's saying, I designed family. Here's the best way for it to work. Now, why would that be true? Why would children obey your parents? Why, why would that seem to be the best way to flourish? Well, here's one reason. I'm gonna be blunt here. It's because when we're young, we're not that bright, right? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just like saying the truth. And I would say it's one of our daughters, and I've gotta be careful now that my kids are getting older. They're like, Dad, when you use us in sermon illustrations, we know what you're talking about. And our friends, so I'm gonna be careful. So one of my daughters, um, before her two younger sisters were born, um, when she was... <laughs> When, when she was little, we, we, would, we would feed her well, give her a ton of toys, and yet for some reason in our home, our, our, the, fr- the, the trim work wasn't done in our home yet, so around all the windows and doors was that expansion foam, you know the stuff I'm talking about, you spray in there? She loved that stuff, man. Every time we turn around, she's ah, 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 just stuffing it. I'm like, we've, get, we've got raisins and granola bars here. What are you doing? Why are you eating that stuff, Right? Then you get older. Listen, when you get older, we stop eating foam insulation, but we're still, we're still not that bright all the time. And listen, I was a teenager too. I was a student in my parents' house. And, I, and when I was a student, I remember thinking if I heard a sermon on crazy family, I'd be going, yep, my parents, that's who you're talking about because they're the crazy in this family. But, but think about it. What if other creatures in God's created order, what if they lived out this idea and said, you know what? The kids don't need to obey the parents. No, it, it just works. Imagine if you would, you're on the Serengeti with these bunch of gazelles and one of the children gazelles says to the parents, hey, when the lion shows up, I'm taking them out. I think I can, I've, I've been working on my moves and I, they don't have fists, but they've got these little hooves they kind of, right? And the parents are like, no, 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 don't do that. Well, I don't need to listen to you. What do you know? I'm smarter than you. I think I can, and, the, and the, listen, listen, thousands and thousands of years, that lion, these lions have been eating gazelles. And you might stand up and try to fight the lion and try to do it. And maybe it might work once or twice, but eventually, eventually you're going to be eaten while the Discovery Channel films it. So this is where we run, right? So children, obey your parents. Why? Because God says it works. It also says here, obey your parents for it is right. It's right. Now, now, yeah, that can mean because it works, but it also is this. This is God's law. This is not a suggestion. This is what God commands. Ultimately, to obey this, you're not just obeying your parents. You're ultimately obeying the God of the universe where, where he's made you and you're accountable to him in the same way that adults are accountable to God for how they parent. So this is actually about coming under God's authority. It goes on, it says obey, but also says honor your father and mother. Honor them. Now here's the thing, your parents are not always gonna be right. Sorry parents, I let that out of the bag. (laughs) 
Listen, there are times when your parents might be too tight in certain areas. There are times your parents might be too loose in other areas. And maybe some of you have been born into a, a family that is unbelievably rigid and there's, there's not a lot of flexibility. There's no grace. And, and, and like you almost need a Dewey Decimal system to be able to organize the list of rules that are in your home. And, and some of you are growing up in that house and that's a house you're born into. I'm not saying your parents are right, but I'm saying that your duty before God is to be obedient to your overbearing, probably insecure parents. Why would you do that? Why, why would you obey? Now listen, you do have one out. You have one out in there. If your parents are calling you to do something that's not biblical, that's, that's outside of God's law, then for sure that's your one out. But, but why would you follow under that? Why would you still obey and honor your parents? It says here in the text, children obey your parents in the Lord. It's in the Lord we do this, this whole thing of, of family. It's all about what gives God glory. I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor and obey my parents. Why? Because God calls me to do it. And, and yeah, it's not comfortable right now. And yeah, I wish I was being able to do something else, but I'm gonna do this as unto the Lord. It says honor. So, so, so it's an attitude. Literally what, what, what it's saying here is respect your parents. Value your parents, esteem your parents, love your parents. And, and in your heart right now, would you say, yeah, that's the hard attitude I've got towards my folks. I esteem them, I, I love them, I value them. How, how'd you know? What would that look like flowing out? What, what would honor look like flowing out? Well, I think it would look like what's just been laid out for us in verse one. Children, obey your parents. If you honor your parents with an attitude that, that is gonna show in how you obey in your actions, how do you tell if you're honoring? You check out and look at what am I doing in my home? Now listen, there's good news here though. Remember, it says that it might go well with you. God's not out to, to look to ruin your teenage years by, by placing you under these parents. He's not. He's not looking to ruin your life. What's he, he's looking that your life may go well. He's saying this is what works. Your family thrives in this model. Your life actually will thrive in this model. People will look in on your family as this picture of the gospel and say, that's gotta work there. Children, Obey and honor your parents. All right, folk, parents, this is, the, this is for you next. Our, our third point this morning is this. Parents, bring up your children in the Lord. Parents, bring up your children in the Lord. It says in verse four, fathers. Now it says fathers, it's for parents, but interesting, right? That, that even though this is for parents to do this, that, that dads, like we talked about last Sunday, you're the head of the home, not just an authority over the home, but you're the source. You're the one who should be driving this thing. You're the one who should be caring about this. You're the one who should be tending the garden of your family. Right? What's that mean? It means it's not just mom's job, job to parent the kids. Don't let your wife read all the parenting books alone. Take the lead as you care for your family, as you read more, as you, as you study your kids more, as you look and, and be able to understand what do my kids' hearts look like as you begin to ask those questions. Maybe, maybe you're working all day and, and you have a stay-at-home wife and maybe then you take the time to ask your wife, hey, hey, tell me about our kids' hearts. How can I parent better? How can I speak more clearly into this? And you pursue that. So fathers, it starts with you, but it's for parents. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the Lord. Let's start there and then we're gonna work backwards. 
at how that's lived out. We, we gotta start there though. It's, again, it's, it's the Lord again. Same, same as kids, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, raise your kids in the Lord. So what does that mean? What's the main goal then of parenting? The main goal of parenting is not to make sure that our kids have the best education. I mean, that's good. We, we wanna pursue that, but that's not the main goal. The main goal of parenting is not to make sure that our kids are the greatest at sports. Our ultimate goal of, of biblical parenting is not to make sure that our kids have the greatest career they can ever have. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they need to come under what the ultimate goal is, what the greatest call is. If that becomes our greatest call, what are we doing? We're basically just saying, we wanna, we wanna achieve what the world says is success, what our culture is selling us as success, this false idea that the most important thing that you can ever do is to be successful in this world. And, and listen, that's just not true. And here's why that's important. When we get the order wrong, when we, when we take Christ and put him underneath all these other things, when we sacrifice God on the altar of education, of career, of sports, of music, we sacrifice God on that altar and then we're telling our kids, no, but, but, but God's important. We're trying to convince our, our kids to seek Jesus as the ultimate treasure and yet their whole life they've been seeing this thing flipped upside down. They're showing up in heaven saying, here's all the stuff I've worked for and they've missed the most important thing. They haven't won Christ. So don't buy it. Let's, let's not immerse our kids in this lame view of success so they miss out on the greatest joy in life to know and to serve and to love Christ. I mean, that's the goal of biblical parenting, to point our kids to Jesus. That God's saying, hey, raise your kids to know me, to love me, to serve me, to treasure me. Is that what's driving your parenting? In fact, some of the toughest calls I used to have when I used to run a college ministry and a kid would decide, you know, I'm gonna hold off on university for another year because I just believe God's calling me into missions and I wanna want see if that's the gifting he's called me to. So I'm, I'm gonna go into South America to work in the slums and in, the, in there and I'm gonna see if God's gonna lead me to that and they start pursuing that and then I get the phone call from the parent and they're going, hey, hey, do you know my kid's going on missions to, to, to Colombia? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that awesome? Oh no, it's not awesome, Right? Like, no, my, my kid was supposed to hit up university. My kid was supposed to do this. My, my kid had all these, I had these plans for him and this is what. What do we end up doing, right? Our hearts are so bent towards what the world tells us is important that we're willing to sacrifice Christ on the altar of my kids get a good job, move back to the town we live in so I can see the grandkids all the time. And we keep Jesus locked up in church where we say, hey, on Sundays we'll visit Jesus, but for the rest of the week, other than Sunday mornings and maybe Tuesday nights when you get into youth, he has nothing to do with our lives and our kids miss out on the reality that Jesus is looking to totally transform him, them. That when Christ is their treasure, they live a life that is more adventurous and more bountiful than they ever could live anywhere else in any way else. That by living for Christ and him alone, that there's treasure and rewards greater than they ever could imagine. And God is saying to us as parents, do your kids know that truth? Are you showing your kids that truth? Well, how do we do that? He, the text goes on and lays out how, we to, how are we to live this out as parents. And it says this, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That word here, provoke, it could be exasperate. It, it, it just means to irritate intensely. It, it, it's infuriating someone. You're, you're provoking them. You're, there's this response or reaction to what you're doing and it's, it's this, this anger comes out and may, maybe your, your kid doesn't lash out in anger. Maybe it's just the, the flip side of anger, which is despair. And that, that's what you're doing. You're living in this way. So what would that look like? How do I know if I'm doing that? Well, when you make unreasonable demands on your kids, if you humiliate your kids, if you don't take into consideration your, your child's unique makeup and personality, but you have a one size fits all, all the kids are doing this and I parent them all exactly the same way and you begin to exasperate your kids. Or you constantly nag and spend most of your time fault finding I would say to spend some time, maybe this week, maybe in your small groups, maybe in your own quiet time, spend some time in Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, it kind of lays out, here's what God is like as a parent. And it says in there that the Lord is steadfast and merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. I mean, that's how God parents us. So, so, so the gospel, knowing that, that's how God parents me, changes the way I parent my kids, right? Where I don't want to negatively motivate them. I don't want to poke and jab at them. I don't want to exhaust their spirits, but our homes should be filled with grace and love and mercy and joy. Yeah, there, there needs to be discipline and we're going to get there, but, but the discipline needs to happen in a way that doesn't exasperate our kids, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. In some way, our kids will get angry. They're going to rebel against rules they don't like, even though they might be good rules. Our kids are going to get ticked. So this isn't saying, hey, don't make your kids angry. Because our kids will not like everything that we do. It's saying, don't take things to the point where you aggressively attack your children, where, where you lay burdens on your kids that they can't bear up under. They can't walk in. They can't submit to them. And this can happen throughout any age. I think a lot of times where we see the, the struggle, right, is when our kids begin to hit teenage years. Have you ever noticed this? When kids are young, they can do no wrong. And when kids are older, they can do no right. Right, when kids are young, they can do no wrong. You ever been at that house where they're like, isn't little Johnny an angel? And like, he's stuffing your cat in the toilet, right? And not that I disagree with that, what to do that with a cat, but here's the thing, your kid is not a little angel in that moment. But then when the kids get older, they, be, they become teenagers, we start to have this feeling that our, our kids can do nothing right. And we provoke them to anger. We exasperate them with this constant criticism. It's Psalm 103 again. It says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. He does not deal harshly with, with us as we deserve one author said this, he said, a child learns what he lives. If he lives with constant criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find, and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability, to distrust the intention of others. Above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. So how, how do you speak to your kids? 
Is it harsh? Is it angry? Is it impatient? Our, our mouths are so powerful when it comes to our children. And you can make your son or your daughter feel hopeless and worthless and needing to fight for any bit of approval. Or, or you can speak words of life where they feel confident in how God sees them. You understand that our kids are looking to us as the example of how God the Father is. And they're saying, who is God in, in, this, in this world? And they're looking saying, is God like that? Now again, don't forget the gospel here. If you're, you're saying, man, I do speak that way to my kids. Don't, don't, don't miss out on, on the gospel that your kids can actually see the gospel lived out even in that. I don't know how many times I've had to circle back on my kids and I don't lay awake at night a lot. I'm a pretty sarcastic person. So I don't lay awake at night a lot thinking, man, I just said everything so perfectly today. I can just go to sleep. No, I, I lay awake going, man, I did not say that right. So what do I do? I've got to circle back on my kids. I spend time and time again in my kid's bedroom going, hey, listen, daddy wasn't right. I shouldn't have said it that way. I'm so sorry for how I hurt you. And, and listen, your kids are seeing the gospel being lived out. They're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Dad needs Jesus too. Just as much as I need him. Let's not provoke our kids to anger. Now, the other side of that, it says, don't provoke your kid, children to anger. It goes on, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, so don't provoke them to anger, but we need to discipline and instruct our kids. Here's the thing. In this room right now, there, there would be people who would naturally, just without God's spirit, would naturally fall to one side or the other. And probably, just this is the way, God, I don't know, God designs it this way. Oftentimes, it's going to be within the same marriage where one of the spouse will be more to one side and one to the other side. And maybe you lean more towards just naturally, like, I don't struggle with provoking my kids to anger. But I actually, like, most of the time, it's because I'm not disciplined, I'm not instructing them because I don't do that well. Or, or maybe you fall on this side where you're, you're very rigid and you can make things and you can get things done and, and our kids are going to know the right things, but, but you struggle with that provoking to anger thing and you're going to naturally fall to one side or the other. Listen, listen, where we naturally fall, we need to get to a place where we're doing what God's word calls us to do. I don't want to naturally fall in one place where my kids feel beaten down. I don't want to naturally fall in another place where I never step up and show my kids the Lord and protect them by discipling them and disciplining them. We're called to instruct and discipline our kids to point them to God. In fact, the very first picture we get in God's word of what does it mean to teach and to raise up kids is in Deuteronomy. And it says this in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then it says this, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. So it says this, it says instruct your kids, teach your kids, disciple your kids. Talk about Jesus, talk about the word, talk about the gospel. And when do you do it? It says here in Deuteronomy, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. I mean, it pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the word all the time. Listen, you are the best Bible teacher for your kids. It's not me, it's not Harvest Kids, it's not your youth leader. You're the best to teach your kids. Now, how can I say that? Why? why? Because God designed it that way. Because God designed it that you're the one walking life with your kids. And Deuteronomy paints, it, paints the picture of it's not just with words. You see that? It's, it's supposed to be visible. 
Like mom and dad aren't just talking about Jesus and the gospel. I can see them living it out. It's almost like they've, they've tied it to their wrists and they've written the verses across their foreheads. I'm not saying that if we see kids show up on Sunday morning with Sharpies, verse, that's not what it's, it's not supposed to do that, right? I mean, that's your thing. You can, but I, I don't think that's good, right? What it's saying is this. It should just be kind of everywhere. It's like it's billboards all over your home. Is the gospel visible in your home? How you deal with struggles in your home? Is your house filled with complaining and gossip and anger or is it filled with prayer and thankfulness and faith? How do you deal with success in your home? Is your house filled with pride and entitlement and self-centeredness or, or is it filled with, with gratefulness and generosity? How do you discipline your kids? Is it out of anger? Is it, is it a reaction or, or is it gospel driven because you wanna rescue the hearts of your kids for Jesus? Moms and dads, how do you love each other in the home? Dads, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to love their mom well. Moms, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to love their dad well. Do they see the gospel lived out? I mean, for this to happen, we need to be intimately involved in our kids' lives where, where we know what's happening. I love the picture of God as a father. God is actively and intimately involved in our lives. I mean, it says, it says he knows the number of hairs we have on our head. I mean, that's an, that's an involved father. Let's, let's get involved in our kids' lives so that we can instruct and so that we can discipline. This idea of discipline, what's it mean? It means this, you're, you're putting boundaries around your kids. You're training them to, to walk in obedience to the Lord. You're like, I don't know about this discipline thing. I, mean, I, just, I just think maybe I should let my kids run free. I think they would, they would do much better than that. There's a study that was, been, that was done where they followed 1,700 young boys from, from childhood right through to, to adulthood. Here's what they found. They found parents of, of high esteem children, they call them kids who are, who, are, who are doing well in life. Parents of high esteem children had homes that demanded accountability, responsibility, and self-control. Parents of low esteem homes, kids not doing well, they created insecurity by their permissiveness. These children felt the rules weren't enforced because nobody cared enough to get involved. I mean, a, a lack of standards, failure to discipline your kids causes them to lose heart just as much as being overbearing and angry. What scripture say? Scripture says God disciplines the ones he loves. Right? If you're not being disciplined, you're gonna say, man, am I really a child of God? And, and so for our kids, I think, this, I think we don't discipline our kids because we don't like discipline ourselves, Right? We're like, you know what, God, I just want to hug today. I don't, I don't want to hear what I need to do. God, you, know, you come into counseling and a, and, a, and a biblical counselor, one of our small group leaders calls you and says, hey, listen, here's some things we need to grow. And you're like, no, no, don't tell me that. Just give me a hug. Just encourage me. Just coddle me. I don't want to be. And, and God's saying, no, no, no. My word's good for what? For, it's also good for exhortation for challenge, and, and we're like, I don't want that. I, I, I would rather just be, be loved on, and listen, listen, the most loving thing God can do for us is to call us to repentance. The most loving thing we can do for our kids, sometimes the most loving thing with a rebellious kid is to say, enough, we're done. 
Not because you're harsh, but because you love your kid. Again, see the gospel balance here. See that this is, this is in the Lord. We're, we're pursuing Christ as our treasure. We want our kids to do the same. So what are we doing? We're disciplining without provoking to anger. We're rescuing the hearts of our kids. I don't have time to cover all the details of how, how would this look like? Like, how do you actually work this out practically? But let me give you some great resources. If you've got a pen, you want to write down some good books. Here's some good books that actually flesh this out. One's called Give Them Grace. Great resource. Give Them Grace. I'm shepherding a child's heart. Very detailed book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. If that one's too big, there's another one written called Don't Make Me Count to Three, which is a simple, almost like a simplified version of Shepherding a Child's Heart. They're just great books to grab, to read, to, to, to dig into. What, what does it look like to raise my kids in this way? So give them grace. Don't make me count to three. Shepherding a Child's Heart. But here's the takeaway this morning. Discipline your kids in a way that leads them towards God not with an anger that leads them away from God. And that's not easy. Here's the reason why that's not easy. Most of us are reactionary in our parenting. Here's one way that, that I heard a preacher talk about and I've been trying to put it into practice in my life. How do I go so I'm not so reactionary all the time with my kids? Here's what I do. When I come home, and if you're a, someone who works all day, then you come home to your kids. On my way home, I remind myself, I psych myself up, almost like a boxer, you know, or a football player, so they pound each other's shoulder pads, kind of like that, where I'm like, my job's not done. My job's not done. I've got work still to do. Right, so I'm coming into our home already with the anticipation that I've got work to do in the home. Right, if you come home with a false expectation where you're gonna show up and all your kids are gonna be wearing suits and dresses around the table with the table all done with this beautiful dinner, right? we've all seen Leave it to Beaver, it's not reality, right? But then, you, then I do come home and that's not what's happening. My, my kids are fighting and the, the living room looks like Hurricane Katrina went through it and, 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 and I walk in and I, I hear maybe my wife say to one of my kids, hey, you can't have another cheese string and then what do I do because I'm not in the right headspace? So I go after my wife. Hey, come on, let them have cheese strings. Why? Because I didn't know that all day that's all the kids been eating and that's like their 58th cheese string, right? And so now husband and wife are now fighting and kids are now looking. I'm just making this up. This isn't anything in my life life, right? But no, okay. <laughs> what can we do? We need to prepare our hearts and our minds for the task we've been called to. This is a high calling as parents. And we need to remember that, that our job is to shape and to mold and to care and to love and to raise up our kids to see Jesus and, and listen then if that's a conversation you need to have with yourself driving home, then have the conversation. That's definitely a conversation you need to have every morning you wake up. And what's it gonna do? When you see the job laid out before you, it should drive you to your knees and into the word saying, Jesus, I need you for this. I cannot do this on my own. You've called me to this, so you're gonna equip me for this. It should drive us to, to need to gather together like this for worship. It should drive us into our small groups where we say, hey, I need help with this. Can someone give me some advice? I'm not sure where to go. Hey, could you guys pray with me about this? Because this kid is tough, man. Only by prayer and fasting are these demons coming out, right? And so you get people around to come alongside. This is what it drives us to. That this job is huge, and you recognize it's not an optional job description. It's what I've been called to by God. God's entrusted me with these kids and it's huge and I don't feel up to the task. Remember, God does not command what he doesn't also empower. 
And God's called you as a parent. He's given you the gospel to rest in. He's given you his spirit to empower you. Isn't it interesting that all through scripture, what do we read? God never calls the experts. He calls the busted up, broken, messed up people and says, this is the job I want you to do. He does not always call the equipped, but he will equip the called. So if you're a parent this morning, that you would reach out and seek out and say, God, I need you. I'm gonna do what you called me to, but I'm gonna rest in you, that you love my kids and you're gonna be changing them. As the worst team comes up this morning and as the ushers get ready, we're gonna end off this morning by celebrating communion together. Here's what I wanna do. I want to understand that, that as parents and as kids, we are called to a high calling. And outside of the help of Christ, we can't do this. But, so what do we do? We want to be reminded. We want to be reminded that, that in Christ we can do this. And so communion is this beautiful time where we get together to what? To remember Christ's death. And as the ushers begin to pass this out, as the tray goes by, grab both the, the top cup and the bottom cup. They're stacked on top of each other. And there's the bread and the, and the, and the juice there. And what do they? They represent Christ's body and his blood poured out for us. It's in this moment that we remember the gospel, that we remember that Jesus Christ, as he prayed in the garden where he said to the heavenly father, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way. But then he says this, but not my will, your will be done. He submits himself to the father. Jesus actually lives out this idea that it's going to go better when I do things in the Lord. That Christ gives up his life for us. So what I want us to do this morning is you hold the cup and the bread. We're gonna take together in a minute, but here's what I want us to do. First is this, to take some time to repent. I mean, maybe you hear this sermon, you think, man, I, I, I haven't done this. Maybe on either side, maybe you grew up as, and you're like, man, I treated my parents so horribly. I didn't live this out. And you take some time right now to just bring that to the cross and say, Christ, your blood covers this. Maybe as a parent, you hear this and you're like, I, I didn't do this. I didn't disciple and raise up my kids. I, I exasperated my kids. Or maybe even right now, your, your, your mind goes to those moments where you've been not living out this call that Christ has called us to. Then take the moment right now to repent. What's repent mean? It means you just, you just bring this to the cross and you say, Jesus, thank you that you've forgiven this. And then you, you turn, you turn from the, that, that, that sin that you're laying down and say, I, I'm not, I don't want to pursue this anymore. I want to pursue you, Jesus. And, and I can't do this on my own, but because of your death and resurrection, I can move in a different way. So take some time right now. You lay your sin before the Lord. something else you can do. You can also do this. You can remember. Remember that Christ's sacrifice, his death, his burial, his resurrection takes care of that sin. 
You no longer need to carry the shame and the guilt and the burden of, of past sin. Where You can lay that out and go, Lord, you can take all of this. You, you can bring healing and restoration. You can restore the years the locusts have eaten. You can rest this morning in the gospel. Maybe you can also rest in this, that maybe you have kids who are prodigals and that burden is so heavy on you this morning. Like, I don't know what to do with this, Lord. I've done everything I can do. I've pursued, I've laid my heart before them and, and maybe this morning you lay your child before the, cro before the cross. Say, Lord, they're yours. Do what you need to do. God, would you pursue them how you want to pursue them? And you rest at the cross. You rest in the fact that God the Father loves your children, that he's waiting for the moment they turn where the only time in Scripture you see, you see a picture of God with him running with arms open. He runs and grabs the prodigal and kisses him. And the, the wording there is that it repeatedly kisses over and over and over again. You'd lay your child down and say, Lord, they're yours. You'd repent, you'd remember. Here's the other thing I want us to do, that, that you'd receive the grace of Christ at the cross. Maybe for you this morning, it's receiving the gospel for the first time where you've lived apart from God. You've tried to do this on your own for so long, but this morning you say, I want to receive this for myself. I want to walk in the power of Christ. I want to walk in redemption and healing and forgiveness. I want to give my life to Christ as my treasure. Or maybe for you this morning, what you need to receive is healing for the wounds, for the hurts. And you grew up in a home where you didn't have what was talked about here. You didn't have parents that, that could reflect the gospel. You didn't have parents that cared for you, parents that wounded you, that, that maybe this morning as you, as you lay those before the cross and say, God, they're yours. Only you can restore my heart. I, I can't fight for this on my own anymore. I, I can't put my hope in the horizontal. My hope is in you, that you, because of Christ, God, bring peace to my heart and you heal these wounds. It says in scripture on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body that's given for you. Let's eat together. As we repent and as we remember and as we receive God's grace, here's what I love about the cup. Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant. It represents his blood poured out. There's this the new covenant, which is this. We don't just repent and remember and receive. We celebrate. We celebrate God's grace in our lives. We celebrate the gospel that says that, that it can be different, that I can be healed. We celebrate God's spirit in our families that says that my family can be changed by God. So this morning, let's drink together and let's celebrate Christ's death for us.
stand with me as I pray before we sing? Lord God, I, I thank you that, that you are our hope, that you are our strength, that you bring healing and restoration. You, you empower us to live this out. Lord God, would you, would you continue to build in us this hope we have as we treasure you above everything else, that you are our everything, that you died, were buried, and you rose again to bring us hope and life. Thank you for the truth of that gospel this morning. May it fill our hearts with hope for our families. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.